0: The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Good morning. Let's pray together as we begin to look at this psalm. Our God, we thank you for gathering us in this place today. Thank you for Zoom. That allows some of us to gather virtually. And Lord, with this psalm open in front of us, we ask, we pray, we we plead for such an outpouring of your spirit right now that we would be changed by these words, that we would, that we would find ourselves uh, met by your presence, the one that there, there is no equal, you have no rival, there is no one like you, and we need you today. We need more of your glory and your goodness. We need more of your presence in our life because this is a difficult world. There are hard things happening in our hearts and in our lives and in our city. And so we need you. So meet us today, we pray in Psalm 121. We ask all this for your glory and for our good as we pray together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Did you know that the most common command in all the Bible is do not be afraid? The most frequently given command by God to his people is do not be afraid. And I think that if God saw fit to give us that command more frequently than any other, it must be because he knows we are a people prone to fear. There is a lot in this world that makes us afraid, that gives us anxiety, that gives us a kind of hesitancy in facing our lives. And so God comes to his people over and over again And says, Do not be afraid. Now, we've been in a series looking at the book of Psalms, and what we've said each week is that the Psalms are like a mirror to the soul. As we look at the book of Psalms, we see there reflected every possible human emotion, every possible human experience. And we learn, as we look at these Psalms, how to bring our whole selves to God. Psalm 121 is about fear, it's about being afraid. And more than that, it's about how God meets his people in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their afraidness. And I think God has a word for us today as we look at our lives, as we look at our world, to not only be able to recognize our fears, but to see how God meets us in the midst of them. So let's look together at Psalm 121. And as we do so, I want to show you four things today. First, two invitations that this psalm gives us. Then a promise, a challenge, and the assurance. So two invitations, a promise, a challenge, and finally the assurance. So let's take a look first at two invitations. Now, some of you know Psalm 121 is part of a little collection of psalms called the Songs of Ascent. These songs were sung by the people of God who were making a journey to the ancient city of Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you'll know that Jerusalem is a city that's situated on the top of mountains. So any journey to Jerusalem requires making your way up the mountains. Now, these songs were sung by ancient pilgrims who were on their way to Jerusalem. And so what you have here is someone who is excited. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going for a festival. I'm going to see my community. It's going to be great. And as they're journeying, they see off in the distance a mountain. And as they see the mountain, verse 1, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. They're filled with fear. Because in ancient times, as you would imagine, traveling was very different than it is today. They don't travel by car or by train. They don't take the tube. You're walking everywhere. And so when you look out and you see a mountain, you recognize, if I want to get to where I'm going, the mountain stands in the way. And mountains in ancient times for ancient travelers were places that were both dangerous and they were difficult. They were difficult. It was hard to navigate a winding mountain road. And also they were very dangerous. They were places where thieves and robbers would hang out. There were places where vicious animals could get you at any moment. And so the psalmist, this person who's on a journey, wants to get to Jerusalem, but he knows his way to his destination is filled with something that makes him afraid. And so as he's journeying, he looks out and he says, I lift up my eyes and I see this mountain. This mountain that filled him with fear. The first thing that we have to see today is this psalm stands as a metaphor for the whole life of the people of God. That all of us at some degree, at some level are on a journey. There's somewhere, there's something that you're trying to go or trying to do. And as you pursue that destination or that goal in your life, whatever it might be, there are moments where you look ahead of you and you are filled with fear. You are filled with a sense of, oh my goodness, how am I going to make it over that mountain? How am I going to face what's standing in my way? And if that's ever been you, if that's you today, if that's you this morning, the first thing that Psalm 121 does is it invites us into two practices. It's an invitation to two things. And here's what those two things are. First, it's an invitation to honestly name and speak your fear. Psalm 121 is an invitation to honestly name and speak your fear. Now, for some of you, talking about what you're afraid of is easy. It comes natural. And that's great. Keep doing it. But for others, and dare I say many of us, it's very frightening To talk about what frightens you. You're afraid to talk about what you're afraid of. And the reason for that is because you don't want to look weak. You think if you talk to someone else or even acknowledge it to yourself, it will sound like weakness. Oh, I'm afraid of this or I'm afraid of losing that. I'm afraid of not being able to perform or to achieve or to meet that goal that someone set for me. And we're afraid to speak it, we're afraid to name it because we think in so doing we'll look weak. But this psalm is actually an invitation to say, there's the mountain and I'm afraid of it, whatever your mountain might be. And in speaking and naming your fear, you don't look weak, you look human. And in the articulation, in your ability to actually say, this is what's filling me with fear, you find yourself able to see it more clearly. And as we'll see in a moment, therefore see God more clearly. So the first thing Psalm 121 does is it invites you to honestly name and speak your fear. And I ask you, can you do that? Are you able to say, this is what I'm afraid of? Have you been able to say that to yourself or maybe someone else in your community, maybe even to God in prayer? Can you name and speak those things that is actually filling you with fear? That's the first invitation. But the second is this, Psalm 121 also invites us to acknowledge our need for help, that we are not self-sufficient and we can't do life on our own. No sooner does the psalmist see the mountain that he says, where does my help come from? He looks out and he recognizes, if I'm gonna make it in this journey, I'm going to need help that comes from beyond me. I can't figure this out on my own. And friends, some of you are so exhausted You are so weighed down. You are broken because you are trying to handle all of life on your own. And total self-sufficiency is an idol that will crush all of its worshipers. This psalm is an invitation to say, I can't do it on my own. And you know, for some of us in our culture, the idea that we need help, the idea that we need assistance from outside of ourselves that's actually an idea that a lot of people resonate with. That's why right now the self-help industry, books and movies and podcasts has never been more vibrant. I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago from a London paper and the title of that article is Stressed Brits by record number of self-help books. And there's one spot in the article where a bookshop owner says this, "People are streaming in here because they're fed up about everything." And they're looking for reassurance. They're looking for peace of mind. And so they turn to self-help books and they've become incredibly popular. And so on one hand, you have people saying, yeah, we need help. I need something. I need a book. I need a podcast. I need a life coach. I can't do it on my own. Interestingly though, the same article went on to point out that the person who's most likely to turn to a self-help book is someone who already bought one in the previous 18 months. It's almost as if they're saying it's not working. I need it, but I can't find it. One comedian said, I love self-help. I own them all. But the problem is none of them are actually working. And so what we see here is this partly this move in our culture to acknowledge our need for help. But on the other hand, there are some of us today who, because of pride, who, because of this idea that we have to handle everything on our own, are actually afraid to turn to others for help. We're afraid to ask for someone to give us assistance. We're afraid to even acknowledge that we can't handle life on our own. And friends, that's a burden that you can't bear. It will crush you. And so the first thing Psalm 121 does is it invites us and it says, speak your fear, name them honestly and acknowledge your own limitations that you can't do it on your own. And for those who are willing to take that courageous step, to acknowledge those two things, to acknowledge your fear, to speak honestly about your need for help. The Psalm then gives us a promise. This Psalm then gives us a promise. And it's right there in verse two. The author says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And friends, that's the promise for you today. There is a help from the people of God. God himself is the helper of his people. Here's what you have here. The psalmist is making his journey. He looks out and he sees those mountains. It fills him with fear. But then he remembers his faith. And he says, in essence, the mountains are really scary. But I remember that there's someone with me, God himself, who is bigger than those mountains. He made those mountains. He's actually the maker of heaven and earth. And so what he's saying is my ground for peace, the thing that gives me safety and comfort is not ignoring the seriousness of the challenges that are in front of me, but it's recognizing that there's a God who's bigger than them. And friends, that's important. Faith is not ignoring hardship. It's recognizing God's bigness in the midst of it. It's both acknowledging your own limitations and God's lack of limitation. That's what the psalmist is saying. My help comes from the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth. And the way in which, as we read the rest of this psalm, it's a really beautiful thing, the way in which the author talks about how God's help is going to come into his life. And the way he does so is by using the word watch. That word appears five times in the psalm. The Lord watches over you. And when you hear that, make sure you don't think of someone sitting on their sofa watching telly. I'm just watching to see what happens. That's not how God watches over your life. The way God watches over your life is like a soldier standing guard, a sentry on duty, who's looking to protect and to provide care at every moment, vigilantly paying attention to protect from all evil. And the psalmist is saying, that's what God is doing in my life. And so if we break down what the psalm says about how God watches over you, here's how we can summarize it. God is constantly and comprehensively watching over your life. So let me unpack those two ideas briefly. And friends, I hope as you hear this, you recognize what incredibly good news the gospel is. That on one hand, it gives you freedom to say, this is what's terrifying me. But on the other hand, look at how big and glorious is this God who promises to be with me. So first, the Psalm says, God is constantly watching over your life. Let me read to you verses three and four. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God never takes even a second off from his duty, from his protective care in your life. When you can't sleep because of anxiety, when you wake up too early because you're filled with fear about how you're gonna get through the day that's in front of you, God is the one who's actually awakened with you and you're not alone. God never takes even a millisecond off from his role as watching over and guarding your life. And not only is he constantly watching, but also comprehensively. If you go down to verse seven, it says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life, your whole life. There's nothing that God is indifferent to when it comes to your life. There's nothing about you and your story and your history and your circumstances that is unimportant to God. There's nothing that's a burden to him. There's nothing that he's not interested in. Every part of your life matters. God is constantly and comprehensively watching over his people. And so the Psalm says, verse seven, the Lord will keep you from all harm. The Lord will watch over every part of your life. And so that leads us now to a challenge. So far we've seen invitations, bring your fear to God, name them. He can handle them. He gives you this incredible promise, constancy and comprehensiveness in caring for every part of your life. But that leads to a challenge, doesn't it? And here's where we got to get really real for a second. Because some of us, as we look at our lives, we say, that just hasn't been my experience. It's one thing for God to say, I'm watching over every part of your life. But in my life, the reality is tons of stuff is going wrong. There's been all kinds of harm and pain and suffering and sadness. So it's one thing for God to say, I'm watching out for you. But when I look at my own life, it doesn't seem like he's doing a very good job. So how do we reconcile verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm, and the realities of our life? And friends, this is the million dollar, million pound question. Because unless we actually wrestle with how our faith fits in the realities of day-to-day living, it's just going to be fluff. It's not going to actually comfort us and help us when we need it most. So how do we put together the reality that God will keep you from all harm and the fact that there's a lot of harm in our lives and in the world around us? Well, I think to answer that question, we need other parts of the Bible. One of my favorite to turn to is 2 Timothy in chapter 4. There, Paul, the apostles at the very end of his life, And in verse 18, he says this, no need to turn there, I'll read it to you. But in 2 Timothy chapter four, the apostle says this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. The Lord will rescue me, Paul says, from every evil attack. And we read that and we go, Paul's basically saying, nothing bad can happen to me. God is with me. Everything is gonna be fine. But the challenge with that, is Paul, when he wrote those words, was writing from a Roman prison. And he was in that prison because of his faith. He was in that prison because of persecution. He loved Jesus, and as a result, he was put in jail. And more than that, Paul knows that in a matter of months, he's actually going to die because of his faith, that he would be killed as a prisoner of the state. And so here is Paul in jail, knowing his death is coming, And he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. And you say, but Paul, you're about to die. He says, I know. Paul, you're going to die unjustly. Your enemies are going to win. Bad things are going to happen. I understand. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. And you say, how does that fit? How does that work together? And here's the answer. Here's the only possible answer. Paul knows that somehow in God's mysterious way of working, Everything that happens to him, including the very worst things, will somehow work together for his good. It doesn't mean that everything that happens to him is good. Got to hear that. Sometimes terrible things happen to us and in our world, and we need to be able to call them terrible. But what Paul is saying is that somehow in God's mysterious way of working, he's able to take even the most terrible things and work them together in such a way that they produce good. And so Paul says, even if I die, no evil can really come to me. And God is going to bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And that means that God's keeping us safe is not always sparing us from any uncomfort or pain or sadness, but being with us in it and seeing us all the way through it. And so one author writing about this says, the sting of death has been taken away. The poison of afflictions is gone. All these things have become harmless, even profitable for those who will trust in God. You see, they were poisonous serpents in themselves, but God has taken away their poison. And now for those who trust in God, we are safe from everything. And those that don't trust in him are safe from nothing. That's what Paul's tapped into. And that's what Psalm 121 is saying, that even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear because God is with you. Does that mean the valley isn't terrible and scary? It is. Faith is not ignoring your circumstances. It's seeing God is bigger than them. And that's what the Psalm is inviting us into. We need faith even in the midst of our fear. One of my favorite passages in the Bible that describes this, that illustrates this point is in 2 Kings chapter six. Now, if you've been a part of reality for the better part of a year, you'll have heard me tell this story before. And if you stay for at least another year, you'll probably hear it again because this is one of my favorite stories. But in 2 Kings chapter six, here's what's happening. The people of God are camped in a valley. And that night, the enemy armies, the enemies of Israel come and they surround the people of God on the mountains. So in the morning, one of the servants of Elisha, the prophet goes outside and he stretches and says, oh, what a great morning. And he looks up and he realizes we are completely surrounded. The enemy is here and we are doomed. And he's filled with fear. So he runs back into his tent and he says to Elisha, alas, my master, how shall we do? That's the old King James, basically he's saying we're cooked, we're toast. How in the world are we going to make it through today? And in that moment, Elisha comes out of his tent and he looks around and he sees the enemy army and he says to his servant, don't be afraid because those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And you can see the servant saying, no, I've done the math and there's a lot more of them than there are of us. But then Elisha prays and he says to God, open his eyes that he might see. And in that moment, God opens the eyes of the servant and he sees, he's given faith. And he sees on those same mountains, more chariots and more armies, but these are chariots of fire. These are the chariots of God himself who have come to defend his people. But friends, here's the Most important thing about the passage. Here's what you've got to see. When the servant runs to Elisha and says, we're cooked, we're toast. Elisha doesn't pray, oh my gosh, we are toast. We're cooked. God, help us, save us. He simply prays that God would open the eyes of the servant to see the help that was always there. God, help us see the presence of your army guarding us that's already here. Give us faith to recognize that you've never not been with us. We've never been alone. And friends, what Psalm 121 is saying is we should have as much peace as Elisha did that day in every moment of our life. Because we recognize no matter what happens, God is there and God is with us. Now, that's the challenge. And here we need, as we close, to see the assurance. Because even as I say some of that, I know there are some of you and I do it too, in my own heart, cynicism starts rising. And you say, yeah, that's just what preachers say on Sundays. God is with you. Help is there. He's going to take care of everything. That's what preachers say. But how can I know? I mean, how can I be confident that God's help will be with me even in the darkest valley? And the answer, and it's a good question, because it's one thing to know this abstractly. It's another thing to experience it personally. And so the question for us is how do we know, how can we be sure that no evil can really befall us, that God will be with us and bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom and that all things will work together for our good? Well, the answer is we have to look to another mountain. We have to lift our eyes up and see what happened on another mountain because Jesus Christ on the night before he died was praying in the garden of Gethsemane He was facing his greatest agony, his greatest fear. He knew that in a matter of hours, he would be going to the cross where he would experience separation from God, his Father. And the thought of that, like the mountains for our psalmist, filled him with fear. And yet Jesus, in obedience to God and in love for you, went to the cross. He gives up himself as a sacrifice. And on that cross, Jesus dies. But here's what's interesting. As Jesus is suffering, as he's dying in your place, as he's bearing in himself the sin of the world, our rebellion, Jesus doesn't cry out, help. Because if Jesus asked in that moment for help, the father would have answered. But in that moment, Jesus doesn't cry for help. He says instead, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm alone and I'm abandoned and the evil is crashing down on me. And in that moment, Jesus experiences all the agony and all the fear and all the horror of being separated from God. Why? Because he's dying as a substitute. The one who lived the perfect life, the one who lived the ultimately obedient life on that cross was treated as someone who didn't deserve God's help, who was separated from God. Why? So that on this day, no matter what you fear, no matter what you're afraid of, no matter what mountain is in front of you, that the moment you turn to God and say, help, I need help. God says, I'm with you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Because when he sees you, he sees the perfection of his son. He sees the perfect obedience of Jesus. There is always a help for the people of God, not because they earn it in themselves, but because they're clothed with the perfection of Jesus. And so when we cry out for deliverance in the midst of our greatest fears, God meets us with his presence. He assures us of his walking with us and he brings us safely into his heavenly kingdom. The Lord is our shade. He is our security, our health, our provision. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who knew a life of fear, who knew a life of hardship, gave a sermon in which he talked about antidotes for fear. You can find it online. It's a very helpful sermon. But there he says, faith does not offer us the illusion that we shall be exempt from pain and suffering, nor does it give us the idea that life will be a drama of total comfort and untroubled ease. Rather, our faith provides inner peace amid outer storms so that we can face strains and burdens and fears that inevitably come, assured that God is trustworthy and that he is with us. Dr. King is right. Inner peace amid outer storms. How did he know that? How could he be sure of that? Because he understood because Jesus died for him, he would never be forsaken by God. That can be true for you today. And so as we come now to this time of response, we need to hear God saying to us, I am with you, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you so that we can say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Let's pray. Our God, meet us now in this time of response. We pray that the words we've heard would be producing much more than information, but that you would transform us by the power of your spirit, that you would help us in this moment to bring our fears to you in honesty and realness. And that as we do so, we would find you to be a God who's an ever-present help in our time of need. That we would see Jesus dying for us, rising and standing with us as our friend and as our savior. And that we would in so trusting him, have peace even amidst the greatest of storms. So do that now, we pray for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we now respond, this is a time to put the psalm into action, to name your fears, to tell God what you're afraid of, and as you do so, to then experience His presence with you. That God, I think today, wants to actually relieve burdens and meet us in our fears. And so as we sing, please stand, kneel, sit whatever posture feels most appropriate for you as you respond to God. Also, please know that we'll have leaders in our church in the back who are available to pray with and to pray for you. It can be a great thing if you say, I'm weak, I'm at the end of myself, I don't know what to do, I need prayer. I need to go into the presence of God with a friend in the church. Our leaders would be happy to pray with and pray for you, but this is a time to respond, to feel God's nearness even in the midst of our mountains. So let's do that now as Beth leads us in singing.